and uh, but his AR, he had customized, it was very cool, and uh, so he's shooting, and I just went up and said, man, that is awesome, and he started telling me a story, and that turns out he had had, uh, had moved up from San Jose area in the Bay Area and moved up to the Anderson area, Redding area, and but since they moved up, he's had uh, four hip surgeries, and uh, they just, for some reason, they weren't taken in his body. Actually, had one of them where after they did it, he says, I was driving and my leg fell off. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I guess it just fall, fell out of socket. And so he goes, and now you could hear me driving down the road and stuff. And so while we're there, just talking to him and that. And then I just said, well, can I pray for you? And it turns out he's not of a spirit-filled background or doing that, which is fine. I don't care. But I mean, no prayer doesn't matter. Amen. Just love people, and so just awesome, just loving on him, and uh, and then uh, he started sharing. And then the one thing he says, you know what? I I just j- just really believe that one day we'll see all of God's people under one roof, or just coming together in unity. And uh, that's what was in his heart. Unity was in his heart. And how many know it's impossible to get us all under one roof? But it's not impossible for us to be of unity and faith. And just in that, what I, by me going over and talking to him and praying with him, we, we had a unity of faith. And then a little while later, we're shooting, and then he comes over, and he's got one of the coolest 30 out 6s I'd ever seen. He had a Browning Lever Action 30 out 6. It was way cool. And so he goes, Pastor, Pastor, would you like to shoot this? I said, Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so he took me over, he loaded up, and I get to shoot it again. And he just, but we, we built a friendship there and a bond. And uh, it was just awesome. His name is George and just praying for him. And so but what we find is that the reason we're doing this, there's something about stretching out of our comfort zone, out of our culture. So whether it is your ethnic culture, whether it's your economic culture, whether it's that and teasingly a couple of weeks ago when, when we started this, I was talking about that in El Dorado County that we, we have a lot of segregated communities and the fact that we, we have gated communities. I understand the purpose for gates. I understand the purpose why we do everything, gates on our driveways, all that stuff. But the thought is, you know what, sometimes we need to get beyond our boundaries and reason we live where and open up. So I want to play this video about our heritage and then we'll get in the word this morning. You have that ready, guy? Go ahead and kill the house lights while you play that for me. Sacramento inhabitants 
such a desperate need to bury the dead and comfort the living passed the storm, accepting the challenge. While many fled the outbreak of disease, a handful of ministers remained, placing the lives of their own families in peril. My name is Georg Dumas. I'm a doctor, and I became one of this ministry's chaplains. There I dared to strike trauma, a tribulation, an appalling time experienced my first years in Sacramento, with multitudes arriving by ships. Along with a few other pastors, we would gather under the shade of oak trees, much like this one, and share the good news of God's love. You must understand that the desperation of our city's poor citizens was so great that we endeavored to meet both the natural and the spiritual needs of those that often arrived sick, debilitated, and penniless. This was the hardest challenge. His clarion call was heard above the storm, a defense of that oppressed race. In 1861, when outsiders lobbied to make California a slave state, I came out like a lion against the mistreatment of blacks. I had to stand for justice. I figured if Jesus was willing to die on the cross for what was right, then I was more than willing to face a little persecution. And boy, did that thought continue to work. My name is John Fremont, first senator and governor of California. I'm living proof that when it comes to doing what's right, there is no separation between church and state. I might have been a politician, but more than anything, I was a man of God. I loved the Bible so much, I would memorize up to 300 scriptures a day. I was a shoo-in for president in 1956, and I supported Schwerin when he accepted the Democratic nomination. But instead, I made the tough decision and declined the offer, refusing to compromise on what I knew was right. In each of our lives, there are values passed down from generations that are well worth preserving, while others are best discarded. Now, it is our turn to mine the spiritual riches of our Christ-like ancestors, the reservoirs of those who have gone before us. It is our time to represent Jesus well. It will cost us much, but in the end, will be so worth it. Amen. Yeah, it uh, it takes a lot to step out and move past your comfort zone and to do what's right. And in the Sacramento region, we are the most ethnic diverse community in our nation. And uh, but here in El Dorado County, there's other things that we can look at doing. Amen. How many know it takes something to step out and help homeless people, to help people in other situations and circumstances? And we too many times we think of prejudice just in the place of color. But there's all kinds of different places where prejudice works. Amen? How many are prejudiced against green beans? Okay, maybe not. Peas. Creamed corn. Okay, a flavor. I mean, there, there may be stuff that I would eat. Pastor Sue eats sauerkraut in the morning. I'm totally prejudiced against sauerkraut <laughs> in the morning. She goes, it's good for your digestive. She says, I said, you know what? I'd be constipated before I'd eat that. 
Amen. So that I'm, d I'm just that prejudiced. Amen. So in, in that kind of situation like that, and so what a, you have prejudices. Amen. You have prejudices. We all do in different levels, but we don't think about it. So being challenged and then breaking out of that barriers or doing different things. Sometimes we're just getting involved. Churches become very clicky in doing that and, and groups and stuff. And some of that's okay. It's necessity. It's the way life works and, and the way personalities connect together. But we need to break that barrier. Amen? And be open across every line. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 19. So I just encourage you to join us on Tuesday night. It's a great study. We're going this. You get a free copy of the book if you come. And uh, we just want to sow that into your life. And so this is just the third lesson. We've only had two. So this Tuesday night will be the third lesson. It's easy for you to catch up. We're just going through the book together and uh, growing. Amen? Hallelujah. I just want to stay with this theme that we started, and it goes with that. It ties right in and uh, in learning how to have connection. You have to be connected. What you heard there is pastors who didn't stay isolated and people who didn't stay isolated from what was happening, but they engaged. They got connected to what was going on in their community and got involved, and that's what's important for us. Just like we said about first service, this is awesome. We launched this first service not to just give us an opportunity to be able to come to church early and go on about our personal business, but so that we could literally plan a new church. We believe that there's that many people in El Dorado County that we don't have room for them. If you make room for people, they will come. And so our goal is here is that those of us who attend first service, we would look at this and say, wait a minute, we're planning a brand new church. I want to be a part of the harvest. I want to connect. I want to be involved. I want to reach out to people. And that's what we're believing for with uh, the Thanksgiving Sunday coming up on November 30th, that we would have see God do something great, that we could pray over these names and that God would lead us to people. He, even while we were there, Pastor Sue and I were, were at a car dealership. And so the young man that was helping us there, we, uh, it turned out that he, we, we started talking to him. Do you go to church? Do you know the Lord? And, and then he goes, start sharing his, his situation and stuff, what he's going through and why he's not able to attend his work schedule and stuff. And so as he's sharing things, well, we, can we pray for you? And so right in the parking lot, you start praying for people and they start weeping and, and, and God starts touching them. So God can use you anywhere. Amen. Just be available for God to use you in different places. We talked to another gentleman a couple of weeks ago while they're in this process and uh, he started sharing. Turns out that his dad, he's raised his whole life. His dad's a retired Methodist minister, and, but, but his life just isn't there. But as he's talking, he's sharing his story and there's something there that's reaching out. And if he just had a reason to believe again, to connect again. And, and so there's something about where our faith gets so stirred up that we become contagious. Amen. And you find out people are open to prayer. They're open to be ministered to. They're open to connection. Amen. Luke chapter 19, if you would, beginning in verse 11. This is following Zacchaeus coming to Christ and, uh, and, and opening his home and the Lord going to his house. It says, it says, now they heard these things. He spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately or they thought you know the kingdom's going to be restored the messiah is here if this is him then all these things are going to happen and how many know god's plan is bigger than ours he's working out a plan my part is you know what this is where i am and there's something for me to do in being faithful in his part of the plan i just choose to leave the details to him and be faithful in my position amen Praise the Lord. And so Jesus said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, 
and said to them, do business till I come. And I said a couple of weeks ago as we introduced this message in that is that in my Bible, when it was written and, and uh, according to, in fact, I did a, a thing on the talents a while back and, and the five and the two and the one and how much that was. And I was looking at my notes in my Bible and back when I did the comparison there and started to tally it up, gold was only $424 an ounce. Now it's almost $1,300 an ounce. How many know that uh, if you got 300 pounds of gold, amen? And uh, so think about a talent in that day was about 150 pounds, depending upon whether it was 75 to 150 pounds. So if you were given five talents, how many know that's a lot of pounds? How many know that's a lot of ounces? Times 1,300. How many know that's a lot of money? And so how many know God equips you to do what he asks you to do? God makes provision for you to do what he asks you. Here, at this time when this was written, one mina was equal to $64,000. So I gave everybody, how many know that's a good, somebody said, hey, I, I, I want to, I, I believe you could start a business. I believe you could be productive here. I, I'll give you some venture capital. Here's $64,000. Years ago, before we opened the Lord's Gym, we were sitting at an at, at a Eldorado County, called the Eldorado County Roundtable uh, whatever the end of that was, but it was people getting together to talk about how to help our youth. It was at the time when there was articles being written in the paper about the kids hanging out in downtown Placerville and no place for them to go. They didn't like them hanging around the bell tower. And so I'm sitting there in the meeting. I said, hey, you got to give them an alternative. You can't just kick them out. You have to give them an alternative. You don't want them there. You're building communities with no playgrounds. We have no YMCA. We have no youth play. There's no place for kids to go, so they're just going to hang out if you don't like them there then be a part of creating a place to hang out so they were sitting in the meeting and this was years ago and, and they said well we're going to do we're going to invest seventy thousand dollars into a feasibility study i raised my hand i said give me seventy thousand dollars and i will open a youth center i won't study it we'll do it amen and so, and so here are people, uh, we, love to, we love to talk, we, we, we love to theorize, we, we love to speculate, we love to dream. But somewhere, somebody's got to be invested in here. Jesus is spelling the parable of a man who comes, and he makes it, he gives a resource to people, and he says, now do something with this. Don't just talk about it, don't just theorize, but do something with this, and do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a declaration after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. So it was that when he had returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money, and called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Everybody say gain. Okay, then came the first man saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in the very little, have authority over ten cities. How many know that's a good reward? Authority over ten cities. And he said to him, to the se and the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. And another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared. Everybody say feared. I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? 
that at my coming I might collect it with interest. And he said to those who stood by him, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten. But they said, Master, he has ten. And Jesus says, for I say to you that to everyone who has will be given from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Father, in these next few moments this morning, I pray again that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive, but you would speak to us by your spirit, through your word, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Look at the cover of your outline and just some review this morning and touching on this and and really helping us as we get ready to move into a new year I, I know we aren't even at thanksgiving yet aren't even at christmas yet and i'm already talking about a new year but i have great expectation for what lies ahead and for us to change and, and to see greater things or to believe god and connect with god for more than what we've seen him do before then we have to get ready I mean, though, if you're going to play in a big game, you're going to have to practice before you show up to the game. You're going to have to do prayer. I mean, I mean when, when, when the sporting season starts, they have spring training, they have summer camps, and they have, you know, it all starts before they ever get on the field, they prepare. So that's kind of where we're heading as we head into this new year. The key verse in this passage is verse 20. Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in the handkerchief. The abundant life of Christ was not given to be held safe, in safekeeping for his return, but invested and spent, used to its full potential, put at risk for reward through the Holy Ghost. Or in other words, when we become a Christian, we become born again, and we, we give our lives to Christ, living in Christ, the life that we have received is not just to hold on to protect our own salvation. But we're supposed to be investing our lives for the glory of God. We were never meant to live a safe life for Christ. Life without risk is a life void of reward. All of, the li all of life involves risk. It is being truly lived. Every part of your life, my life, if we're experiencing life at that point, then uh, at some enjoyment, there's some risk involved. You know what, I, I stopped and, and I'm thinking about, you know, uh, it, it, for, for me in my 60s to be riding a motorcycle and that and be out there because I don't ride normal. I ride probably faster than I should or do things that I should. But, but so I can't have the experience without the risk. People say, well, I don't ride motorcycles. Talked to a guy the other day. He goes, well, I sold my motorcycle. I don't ride anymore because, you know, everybody's texting now. Nobody's paying attention where they're driving and stuff. I'm not afraid of me. I'm afraid of the other guy. So this is what I said. I'm, I'm not afraid of me. I'm afraid of. So I'm not risking. And so without the risk, but there is no enjoyment. And so everything, just, just simple things and engagement, things we're doing, for life to be lived, there's risk. And it seems like sometimes when it comes to being a Christian, we, we, we enter into risk in every other area of life. But when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to doing other things or being productive for God, we, we find every way we can to avoid risk. Amen? And most of it's based on fear. He said, because I feared, and usually that is it. And, and, and it gets me, and we probably don't attack this as seriously as we should, but Paul wrote to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. And anytime you and I are, are being operated by fear, we're being controlled by a spirit. Fear is a spirit. It has a spiritual connection to it. It's a demonic spirit because it attacks us. <coughs> excuse me, and keeps us from exercising our faith in God. And I don't know about you, I don't like being controlled by spirits, amen? 
I like being filled with the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit, but not by a counterfeit or a contrary spirit. So think about it. With, with investment and living, there's a risk of pain, failure, rejection, abandonment, and loss. But to live life without the risk of life is to merely exist in a false shell of security shrouded in fear to never experience the fullness that life has to offer to those who will brave the risk. Sometimes we have to be willing to leave the upper room. Amen? Once we have received Christ as our Savior, He as our life, He lives in us to make us a living expression of Himself. You would say, well, I wish I knew what God's will was for my life. God's will for your life is for you to be a living expression of Him in the earth. God puts His life in us. He puts His Spirit in us. He puts the gifts of the Spirit of us, the manifestation of His life to come through our lives. Amen? And not only that, he said, people go, well, I don't know if I can do that. Then he goes, tell you what, I'll leave and give you power and with that power will come boldness to be I'll enable you on every label. When we preached on boldness at the throne, we found out that, wait a minute, God says, hey, I, I, you can't get saved. We are saved by grace through faith. You can't get grace. God has to give it to you. You don't have faith, so God gives it to you. He gives you his kind of faith. And then he says, you don't know how to pray. So in Romans 8, he says, I'll put my spirit in you. So when you don't know how to pray, my spirit will pray for you. So we go, man, I can't do it. God, I give you the grace. I give you the faith. I give you the spirit. If you will just agree, this thing will work. It's amazing. God said, if you'll just agree, this will work. And so I just, you find out, man, I don't have to worry about it. God's making it all happen. And then when I come to God, I find out that Jesus is there interceding for me. So the Father is praying through me by His Spirit. Jesus is praying for me. His grace is there. His power is there. Everything's there. I just got to agree. Amen. It's awesome that we can be that living expression of Him. Jesus lived His life at risk for us. How many know that? For the reward of our redemption. Jesus risked his life for the reward of our redemption. He didn't need to be redeemed. We did. And the reward he was after was you and me. What if we start looking at our community? God, I want to live my life for the reward of somebody else's. Mine is secure. I made my choice. I'm not going back. I believe that I have security in God because I made a choice of no going back. Amen. Not because I have some doctrine that tells me that, but because I made the choice for that. Are you with me? Now think about it. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life to its fullest. How many know that the abundant life is not more stuff? How many are finding out that more, less is more? The older we get, we find out that less is more. Praise the Lord. When we're young, we just think we need more. And then you get more, and you go, man, when will I ever use all the stuff that I have? And then you find out, how about if I just use more of the less that I have? That'd be even better. Amen. So think about it. To know, to experience, live, and enjoy all that the original creator had in mind for you and designed in you. But it will involve some risk. Sunday morning, Pastor Dennis says, before I get up to preach, I said, Lord, I didn't want to come and bring a word. I want them to know that you have something for them in these services. And so I asked God, I said, God, would you just show me something by your spirit? Holy Spirit, I can't do this by myself. If I get up there, then Don Pritchard just has a nice word. That's nice. And I can have a nice word. And nice words are nice. That's all they are. A nice word is nice. It doesn't change anything. It was a nice word. Everybody leaves church going, hey, that was nice. I mean, you know what I'm saying? 
But how many know nice isn't what we need? We need the living reality of God. Paul said, I didn't come to you with just nice words of man's wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, I didn't come to you just declaring nice words of human wisdom, but I came to you in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit that your faith wouldn't be just in the nice words of man's wisdom, but in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? That your faith would be in the power of God. So that morning in that service, it, it just prayed, and God gave me five words of knowledge for different people. And, and so we prayed for people. One lady who came up, one of them was over people, somebody's eyes. And Marlene came up after the service and said, Pastor, I just want you to know the Lord healed my eyes. I read my Bible for the first time in years this afternoon. I had a fluid behind my eyes. I wasn't able to read. I'm now reading my Bible. Today I read my Bible. God healed her eyes. Okay, but you have to risk something. You have to get out there and you have to believe that you heard the voice of God. You have to believe that it is a word of his knowledge and that you by the Spirit have to say it. And the risk is that he will manifest his life through you. And so at the risk of looking stupid, of having nobody respond, you have to put yourself out there at risk. And because we live in a society that nobody wants to be a failure, we're so concerned about our own personal image, we're not projecting his image we're doing all right and so but at the same point you won't have the return of investment church and life in Christ was never intended to be a group of individuals living out their lives for him shut away with themselves and just holding on to their mina waiting for his return but living by putting it all at risk through connection how do we connect we connect as a body and as a growing family. Isn't it amazing you read the Bible that the Bible says that we are all members of a body. And so connection is such a vital part of what we are. And then that body is to be growing. That there are other members. And so as we, we're, we're a body, but we're also a growing family. We're the family of God. Amen. We're the body of Christ and we're the family of God. I keep teasing Brandy Turner. She's wearing a hat and Richie and the family came. And Brandy was just a little, you know, little baby when they came here. A little bitty girl. And now she's a mom. I think she's on kid number 35, something <laughs> like that. And I uh, just saw on Facebook again today, she's holding up another thing. It's a boy. And I'm like, you know, I, I've lost count somewhere around 18. I lost count of how many kids they have. But they are a growing family. Amen. They are a growing family. That's what the church is. Somewhere we get along. Hey, you know, our church is big enough. No, it's not. Because it's not our church. It's the body of Christ. It's the family of God. And there are people that are supposed to be part of this family that just don't know it. They think they're orphans. They don't think they have a place to connect to. And so people in our communities are walking around. They're trying to find connection. And they're being given a false hope of connection through all kinds of different relationships. Listen to me. People go to bar. A bar is a counterfeit church. Everything people go to a bar or a club for is what's in the house of God. The devil is the great counterfeit. Amen. And I won't go way off into all the analogies that are in that. Jesus did not allow his disciples. Turn with me to John chapter 20. Jesus did not allow his disciples to stay in the upper room. Didn't allow his disciples to live like that in the beginning. Isolated. And he's not going to allow us to live like that either. Here's what I'm noticing more and more in our culture today. And you and I, we have to be aware. You have to fight to not be conformed to this world. 
There's a cultural mindset that you live in every day of the week. You're bombarded by it, either through media, on every level, uh, where you are, people you engage with, in the marketplace, in the workplace. You're bombarded by current culture. And current culture is, is really, America is a very me society. Amen. We've already gone to all of our borders and stuff, so we're not, you know, pioneering. Every now and then we have the reality shows of living in Alaska, and now we got people who, who are, are, are living free or die, the new reality TV people going off the grid and like living. I watch these guys, I think, dude, you might learn some mountain skills before you try that. Anyway, but, uh, uh, in the, but we're just isolated and pulling back, and part of our culture is, is people are looking for a church that they can come in and go out with no connection and then go on about their business. That's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ, we're connected. John chapter 20 and verse 19, And the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. The disciples were inside, closed up for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be to you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Thomas wasn't with them. And uh, uh, verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord, but he said, Unless I see in his hands the print and the nails, but his finger and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. Wow. Some people are like that. I'm not doing anything for God unless he shows up in person. Or else we say, hey, you know what? Words are not enough. Just God's word isn't enough. I need something else. Think about it. Verse 26. After eight days, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came to the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Come on. They're, they're still, they're bound up. And then if we keep reading on, they, they leave there, and then they go back to fishing, and then they're hanging out. And then finally, at the day of Pentecost, something amazing happens. They're willing to be thrust outside when that power shows up. Amen? So Jesus did not allow his disciples to live like that in the beginning. He's not about to allow us today to live with that false sense of safety, hiding shut up and closed in shrouded for fear that's why they were in there because of fear Luke 24 49 Jesus declared that they were going to receive power endued with the power not of their own but God that would thrust them out into the fields of harvest and embolden them to take the risk Matthew 9 and verse 38 if you write it down in your notes or you can read it later if you have an amplified Bible Jesus said pray the Lord of the harvest that he would force and thrust out laborers into the harvest field. So sometimes we say, Lord, just send out labor. But the, 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 the actual little works are a little more aggressive like that. It's kind of like Jesus would grab them by the scruff of the neck and see the pan and force them out into the harvest. Sometimes that's the only way we go. He grabs us and, you know, it's kind of like when your kid's 38 still living at home. You just have to like kind of grab them by the scruff of the neck, the see of the pan, and force them out into life. You guys missed a good place to say amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. 
So watch it. We raise our children to go out and what, what's your goal? When you have children, when you have children, you raise them, your, 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 your dream for them is they would grow up and be a productive individual, not a dependent their whole life. The, the one thing that makes me mad about our nation and the cult of our nation is that we have allowed ourselves to be digressed and deformed into a nation of dependence. When over 53% of our jobs are government jobs and 47% of the, of the working population is paying to employ 53% of the working population, we are out of order. And then at the same time, when, when everybody thinks I'm entitled to this, I'm entitled to that, I'm entitled to this, I'm entitled to that, then we are creating dependent, not productive people. When people came to America, it was a land of opportunity, and the only thing you were entitled to is what you produced with that opportunity. I thought I'd at least get a couple more amens. Praise the Lord. But in that... We raise them up. We raise our children up. My goal, I want my kids to be productive. I want them to be responsible. I, 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 I share with them, when our kids, got a, our kids got a cell phone, when they could pay for it. I won't make any friends right here today. They got cell phones when they could pay for it. I wasn't afraid of them. I didn't think when they were nine, they needed to be able to call 911 at school. Whatever. Anyway. Well, what if, what if there's an emergency? They need to call me. See, phones have made us think that we're omnipresent. That we can be there immediately for our kids. And because, now watch it. Look, whatever isn't of faith, the Bible says is sin. And if the only reason we buy our children's phones is because we're in fear of their safety, then where is my faith for them? My Bible says that he would give his angels charge over my children. That I can pray a hedge of protection around them. That I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That I don't have to be. If I'm, if I'm motivated by fear in so many areas of my life. Amen. And then our kids got cars when they had jobs and could make the payment and pay for the insurance and buy their own gas. Why? Not because I was trying to deprive them. I want them to grow up and be responsible and learn that to have things that, that, that you do, that you are responsible, you take care of things, you manage and you budget. But that's our goal. Amen? And sometimes, see, God wants the same thing for you and I. The reason I'm saying that is God wants the same thing for you and I. How many of God isn't worrying over us? When he sends us out to preach the gospel, he sends us into hard places. He sends us in. He doesn't work. He knows that he's covering us. He is protecting us. Amen? And so we can have great confidence. We can go. But he sends us out the same way we want our children to grow up and be productive and be responsible. He wants each of us as believers and his children and his family to do the exact same thing. How many would agree? So he sends us out and thrusts us out into harvest. Acts 2 and verses 1 through 14, something amazing happens at Pentecost. They are no longer hiding, shrouded in fear. They are emboldened with something from on high. God has kept his promise and come to them, in them, and is now flowing through them. There is no longer the fear of risk. 
I love this book, and it's one of the ones that I got out of Pastor Zane's library that he gave me. But I want you to listen to this. I'll read a little passage, and uh, this may be it for this morning. Uh, Scott, in his able book, The Spirit, answering the question, What Happened at Pentecost?, says that it was the creation of the fellowship. The fellowship where walls between Jew and Gentile were broken down. This fellowship called into being by the Holy Spirit was prior to the organized ecclesia or the church. It was related to life, it was related to it as the life of the organization. The creation of the fellowship was indeed one of the outstanding things, if not the outstanding thing, that emerged from Pentecost. But certainly that is not what happened at Pentecost. This fellowship was a result of something deeper. The deeper something was that they found God. And God was not a fleeting idea, but a living fact of experience. God no longer marginal and vague, but focal and dynamic. God no longer coming to them in awful Sinai and in stern prophetic word, but God tender, intimate face-to-face. The exquisite sense of divine presence spread healing and freedom into every portion of their being. The long quest was over. They were now at home in the home of the soul, God. Another fact emerged with this one. Christ, their master, had gone away. He had left them alone, but he hadn't. He was with them, more intimate, more real than they had ever known him. He was with them. There had always been that moral and physical barrier between them and him, but now it was gone. The intimacies of a fellowship almost too deep for words, they could whisper Savior. For the dark ugliness of sin had been purified away in the fire of his presence. There was the merging of the sense of God and of Christ in experience. In their experience, they could not tell where one ended and the other began. They found that they could turn as easily to one as the other. Moreover, God was no longer localized in Sinai, in national epochs, in being God of a chosen people. In their experience, he was universalized. The same was true of Christ. They would no longer think of him merely as the teacher who taught them on the hillsides and companioned with them along the shores of Galilee. He was too universalized. They did not commune with him all uh, along all what, excuse me, they did not commune with him along always now and did not their hearts burn with them on every road now. He was no longer merely the Christ of the Galilean road, nor even the Christ of the Emmaus road. He was the Christ of every road. He was there. He was everywhere. God and Christ were both merged and both were universalized in their experience. So they said the Spirit. They knew God and the Christ through and in the Spirit. The Spirit is the method of God's presence. The Spirit is also the method of God's, the Spirit also of Christ's presence. The Spirit is also the method of God's presence. The Spirit is thus the method of the presence of the Christ-like God with human spirit. Oh, we had this great relationship with God at Pentecost. We came into this personal, intimate relationship with God, and it so transformed them from that moment on. They were no longer shrouded in fear, but something happened where Peter could stand up and say, Hey! 
This is that. And they began to speak boldly. And even in Acts chapter 4, something amazing happened. When they were under threat, they, they were no longer intimidated by threat. Peter and John, after being arrested for healing the lame man at the gate, beautiful, and then being told, don't preach in his name, they come back and they all begin to pray. And while they're praying, the Holy Spirit falls in that place. They have the sense what's like an earthquake there. And it says they were all filled. And then they went out and spoke the word of God. With boldness. They didn't go, wait a minute, we tried this, it didn't work, we got arrested, and we've been threatened with persecution. No, they came back and they go, hey, God, behold their threats. Check it out, they're threatening us, God. And we're like laughing at this. We're not intimidated. Some new boldness was found in their life. And they stepped out. And then when they went, they did even more. Come on, that's what's supposed to happen to us. Amen? Something great happens on the inside of us. Think about it. We're emboldened. Acts chapter 6, then the last thing happened. As the worship team comes back. We still got guys in here? Who do we got? The youth are cooking. We have a keyboard player, all the guys. There he is. All right, cool. Amen. Something else is discovered in Acts chapter 6. We don't have time to read it this morning, but in Acts chapter 6, this is what happened. As they begin to grow, they find out they're connected. And then through connection, they find out there's an awareness of needs that are there. And then there's awareness that, hey, we have to get involved. You go to, if you go to 1 Timothy, you find that Paul talks about bishops and deacons. And in Acts chapter 6, we have the first appointing of what we would call deacons or people who serve and minister to the needs of the body. That that's connection comes, needs are made aware of, we become aware of needs, and out of connection we have resources. And so through connection and awareness and through our resources, we're able to come together and minister to one another. And anytime you have connection and awareness and resources employed, then people are encouraged. Amen? A anytime that happens. Anytime we connect. Connection comes with awareness of who we're connected to. And then out of that awareness, we begin to move. And so that's what happened in Acts chapter 6. They became aware that there were widows being missed in the dispersion. And so then there came some contention around that. And that's part of the risk too. Hey, if I get involved, it's not always going to go just perfect. There's going to be conflict with people. Hey, that's all part of people. I kind of like it like that. I kind of enjoy watching the stuff. It's not always fun, but it is comical. The things that people get upset about. Amen. We can be so trite, so petty, so small at times, upset over about us, me. And so to watch that is just funny. Because you always thought, wait a minute, I thought we were all adults in the room. Amen. Not always. Sometimes we're just kids in big skin. <laughs> Amen. But they became aware of connection. The connection and the bond of life and the spirit. And people began to care for, everyone, for, for each other. I just want to say it again. People everywhere are looking for connection. I believe one reason you're here is you're one of the reasons we go to church. We say, hey, is, is this a body that I could connect with? And there's a lot of different reasons that we would want to connect. Is this a place where I will be hopefully spiritually fed? My goal is to feed you so that you know how to connect with other people. 
The purpose of the ministry is not to do your work for you. I'm, 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 I'm not a, uh, uh, how can I say this? I'm not the, the cook, the dishwasher, uh, the preparer, the menu guy, and all that stuff, and then just come out and serve you so that you can just eat and go home and not have to worry about anything else. Church is not a restaurant, and that isn't what the ministry is for. Amen? The ministry is to equip. Ministry equips. And the main thing that the ministry equips us to do is to grow up and to be fully mature in Christ. And once I grow up to be fully mature in Christ, then I become a part of the ministry of Christ. I'm not blown around, tossed about by every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4 says, but that the body would grow up, that we would grow up into a perfect man, fully mature in Christ. That's my responsibility to see that believers get mature. So people connect. Is this a church that will help me to grow, that where I can be discipled, mentored, and trained how to be a mature believer in Christ and then know how to be productive in Christ? Amen. To, to do what he called me to do. And so we have that. But also we, we connect for fellowship. Is there people there that will have like interest with me? Amen. And so we fellowship. There's some of us that get together. We do other things. Some of us play sports together and stuff. My sports at this age are less contact than they used to be. Amen. But I still enjoy sports. I still do other things. I like golf. I like doing other stuff and getting out. I, lo- I-, I love fishing and hunting and doing those things. And people will connect. There's other people who won't do that. People, other people like other people to kill their food for them. I have no problem, you know, addressing what I'm going to eat. Praise the Lord. Securing that, procuring that for myself. Amen. But, but, I mean, we fellowship around all kinds of different areas. People like to, you just scrapbook. But we have interests or do other things. I don't scrapbook anyway. But people like to do that and all kinds of other stuff. But we get to get, how many know what I'm saying? We have reasons for connect, and we need that connection. We need friendship. We need fellowship. And then we connect around purpose. You have interest and in things that are in you, and you have passions about you. We connect for that. But then as we connect, it, we find out, hey, it's not just about me being fulfilled but through connection i become aware that somebody else has a need and out of that awareness i find out hey you know what i have some resource that could help with that need that they have in their life and so by employing my resource out of awareness they are encouraged and the ephesians 4 literally says it like this that then the whole body is edified and built up in love by the part which every joint supplies and so through connection, we have all these different benefits that come to us. We receive personally, but then out of that, we find out that there's ways for us to minister one to another. And so we say, well, you know, how do I have this and what is this for? And then through that, corporately, we minister and the body is edified and grown. Amen?